Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. StoryCraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. And we are live here in the StoryCraft Cafe. I am your host, Hank Garner, as always, and I would love to uh, welcome our guest today, Clemence Michelon. She has an amazing new book. It's called The Quiet Tenant, and there's a glare on it right there. This book uh, is one of the the most interesting, um, fresh looks at a genre that has uh, you know that that we all love, and but there have been lots of stories like this told, but none in the way that you told it. And I absolutely love it, and so excited to talk about it. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for your kind words. I'm really okay. glad you love the book and that it resonated with you. Absolutely. Um, you know, we we love to start the show with a fun question sometimes, just to kind of uh, get things started. And one question I love to ask people is. What is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? Oh, I love that question. And I love it especially because I have a very specific answer. Um, I was in primary school. Uh, I must have been around seven years old. And I was a kid who learned how to read pretty early on. And so I was already reading books, but I it had never dawned on me that if books existed, it meant that someone had to write them. Right. And then <laughs> one day at school, uh, our, our teacher put up a little poster on the blackboard. It was, I think, an illustration from a children's book uh, publishing company, you know, that had put it out as a way to advertise the books in schools. And it was a drawing of a squirrel in a tree uh, with a little bird hovering near the squirrel. And she asked us to imagine what they were telling each other, the squirrel and the bird. <laughs> and I remember she suggested, she said, you know, maybe the bird or the squirrel needs direction and the other animal is providing them. And I, I totally took that idea. I stole it. And I, I, so I wasn't even very creative that day, but just the, sitting down and writing that conversation, that scenario, oh, why do the squirrel need directions? Why is the bird helping? Um, that was so fun. And I remember that was the day I realized, wow, writing is so fun. Writing creatively was the, the most fun I ever had. And that's when I came home and I declared that I wanted to be a writer. That is, that is so fun. How old were you then? Seven seven and you've been a writer ever since exactly <laughs> you know and as a kid i would write little stories as, as a teenager i would write some bad poetry and, <laughs> and then finally it took it took years to you know figure out how to finish a novel length work and then how to write a novel that actually works uh, on the page Trust me, no one listening to this has ever gone through a bad poetry phase. It's <laughs> no, no one. <laughs> right, right. Um, you. This is your your first novel. Is is that right? So it's but, my first. Um, sorry, it's my first no, no, thriller, ahead. and it's my first thriller, and it's my uh, first novel in English. But I am French originally, and I did publish a novel in French in the September of 2020. That was not a thriller. It was a literary novel about a female bodybuilder who 
has to manage her sister's bakery for a few weeks and it wrecks her life. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> I can, is that going to be released in English? No, no plans uh, of yet. So people just need to learn French. <laughs> I'll get right on that. Um, but you have you have worked um, as a journalist um, between then and and writing thrillers now. Um, I I have come to know quite a bit uh, of journalists that are people that um, spent time in journalism that went on to write fiction and you would think you know on the surface that journalism and fiction shouldn't have much to do with each other but um, I I'm interested in the the toolkit um, that a journalist picks up along the way and um, one way that I like to describe it is uh, like if you're in a larger city and a newsworthy event happens, there might be five different reporters that that show up to cover the same event um, and, you know, for their various newspapers or television stations or whatever. And even though they're reporting on the same event, they all have a little different perspective. They see it with their own eyes. They interpret it with their brain and the reporting will come out, even though the facts are all the same, there may be nuances that are different. So, your time as a journalist, do you feel like that you picked up any special tools or skills that now help you as a fiction writer? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, that, first of all, one of the great blessings of a career in journalism when you're a writer for a publication uh, is that you get you learn to switch it on and off, right? The writing you you do learn to just sit down and write, uh, and that's one of the biggest hurdles I think that we have to get over when uh, we're starting out as writers is writing through the bad first draft and accepting, you know, just getting the words on the page and fixing them later. And so my first experiences of finishing work and being edited, welcoming someone else onto the page with me and preparing the work to be read by the public, you know, all these experiences happened for me in journalism. And that did a lot of work for me later on. Uh, I am a writer who, you know, I'm a word count girl. I, I sit down and I want to do 500 words or a thousand words uh, when I'm writing fiction. And that came from my, my journalism career. Um, because it's all about the word counts there. And and it also just prepares you for an experience that can be jarring sometimes of publishing your work, having other people chime in and some people receive it well and some people don't get it. And it's all part of the process. It's all normal. And if you do journalism long enough, you it just becomes such a natural part of your writing life that you just accept it completely and it doesn't jar quite as much when it keeps happening. And another thing is, for me as a crime fiction writer, um, I've covered true crime as a journalist. And so I was able to build a sort of a personal library of knowledge uh, and an understanding of how things work and how things happen that I feel has served me well when I have sat down to write novels. So one, one thing um, that I think a lot of new novelists struggle with is um, the idea of holding your work too precious. Like, you know, the, every word that I craft is it's this creation that came from from my very soul. And, you know, I can't change it. And 
you learn after doing this enough that yeah it's it it's not as precious as you think the 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 whole work may be but the the details usually can can handle some work yeah absolutely and and then it becomes part of the fun i think journalism and even those early experiences of being edited as a novelist uh you you come to understand that it's fun to remove some passages so that other passages can shine and it's fun to make some cuts so that the pacing works better and it's 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 immensely rewarding to look at a piece of work that you and another person have made better together um i remember when i uh started out in journalism uh one of my very first internships I had a really excellent boss um, who was my editor in the newsroom and he would print every article I wrote, every long form, and sit down with me and red pen them while mm. I was sitting next to him <laughs> and explain to me why he was doing it and explain the changes. And he is still someone I consider a friend. I, I always say he taught me most everything I know. Uh, I think about the things he taught me regularly still now more than 10 years later when I'm when I'm working. I, I think most people um, who work with an editor, I think most people's experience is that you email like a Word document to an editor and then you wait and wait and wait for those changes to come back. And then you open it and you see all of the track changes in there and your heart kind of sinks. But at least you don't have to look them in the eye. I can only imagine <laughs> sitting next to them and just, oh, just melting. <laughs> yeah. Been, I mean, I, I definitely understand, you know, that, that you consider that a gift now, but in the, when it first started happening, I can only imagine the, the dread that came with that. Yeah, because it's not, I mean, it's, it's a very rewarding experience in the long term, but when in it first happens, term. right. When it first, ha when it first happens, it's not gentle. Right? right. And it's, you're just sort of put, face to face with the, the fact that um, you're not as good as you want to be yet and you have so much to learn and it's right. okay, but it's, it's, it, it can be a painful place to be in as well. Wow. Um, I, I have a, a good friend who is German and his, his first language is German, of course, but he has been in the, in the U S for maybe 20 years now. And, um, and he, he writes novels. And I asked him before, um, when you sit down to write, does your mind ever write in German? And then you have to translate on the fly? Or is it just a, a gear that ships? I, I, you know, you being a native French speaker, um, writing in English, is, is that ever an issue? Um, I guess, you know, a lot of us that are not uh, bilingual maybe don't quite understand what that process is like. It was a little daunting at first. I, it was definitely something my mindset was, I'm going to try to write a novel in English and we'll see, we'll see if I can. <laughs> I wasn't sure. <laughs> but I also wonder just how different that is from the mindset of anyone who sits down to write a novel. I think, yeah. I think a lot of people, every novel feel, feels like the first one. Uh, we have no idea how to write this specific novel and we have to figure it out and especially from the point of view of the voice, I think with every new novel, you have to find the voice and you have to find your way around it so that it kind of sings to you. And I had to find a voice in English for this book and I had to find a voice for 
each uh, of the characters uh, who have a point of view in the novel. And it was a process, but I don't know if it was that different fundamentally from the work that a native speaker would have had to, to do. Um, there is an aspect that is a little bit tricky, but it's just, it has made me very careful. That's something I do in journalism as well. I'm always a little paranoid that a word doesn't mean what I think it means. And mm -hmm. so I, I will like, you know, go on wordreference.com and translate random words, even words that I perf I know perfectly well what they mean, but just, right. just in case. And then every once in a while, I find a surprise. I, I still think that the word saunter sounds like it means the exact opposite of what it means. <laughs> I will never accept that it means that. So that was a change actually that I, had to make in in the manuscript of the Quiet Tenant. There was a there was a saunter in there that was uh, not that was not supposed to be here. Well, as a native English speaker, uh, there are plenty of times where I need to just make sure that that means what I think it means. Yes, yeah, it's always yeah. good to check. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so your new book, The Quiet Tenant, is uh, it is a a thriller about a serial killer. Um, I, don't, I don't think I'm giving away too much by by just, you know, the the premise, but it is told um, with um, a unique unique voice structure that um, that I've not seen before. Uh, I've, I've read lots of uh, crime fiction told from the point of view of the serial killer and. And you're not sure is is this a reliable narrator? Is it not? And that's that's part of the um, the fun, if you will, is you know, is this guy telling us the truth or not? You chose to tell this story not from his point of view. So um, first off, um, what what was the the moment uh, of creation for this book for you? And what what I mean by that is, in one moment a book like The Quiet Tenant doesn't exist at all. And then either you're thinking about uh, either a, a true story that you read about or maybe you reported on uh, or, you, you know, you, you're just sitting there in your imagination and a character walks under the stage of your mind and you're like, who are you? And then, you know, you start kind of digging this story out of the ground and, and then as the writer, it's your job to polish it up and excavate it and then, it does exist and you know and then it's your job to write it out um what was that first moment of creation like for you so this uh the quiet tenant started for me in april of 2020 which very was specific time uh-huh it was exactly a very specific time uh just very heightened uh very very strange period and i nothing was going on in the world just nothing at all yeah. <laughs> and and in that chaos and you know with the anxiety of the times i uh i happened to be um in a house in upstate new york uh where the novel is actually set right. and um i was with my husband and his parents and we all knew what everyone in that group did for a living we all knew theoretically, how everyone spent their days. Uh, but suddenly we were all home all the time and we could see how everyone spent their days hour by hour and minute right. by minute. And I started thinking, because the mind wanders, you know, when you're home all day, <laughs> um, what if someone had a very dark secret that they had been able to keep 
only because of the distance that is baked into our schedules with our commutes and our jobs. And that means that we're away from the people who are closest to us for most hours of the day. And what if suddenly that distance was threatened? How do you handle that secret? Um, and I took the, the pandemic element out. There's no yeah. pandemic in the novel, but I kept this idea of worlds colliding and of someone's circumstances changing in a way that might expose them. And that, that's how I ended up uh, writing the story of a serial killer who is known to his community as the seemingly perfect man whom everyone loves. And he lives on this relatively large property where he has kept one of his victims captive in his garden shed. Um, and she's his only surviving victim. Um, he's murdered all the other ones. And one day he has to move from this property to a smaller house that doesn't have a shed. And he decides or is manipulated into um, bringing his captive victim to live in the new house with himself and his teenage daughter who doesn't know about her father's crimes. Uh, and he thinks his victim is too brainwashed to attempt to escape, uh, which is definitely a bet that he is making. Uh, and there is another female character who also has a voice in the book who is this woman who has a bit of a crush on this man. She doesn't know about his crimes either. And she's gonna try to get closer to him with no idea of what she's walking into. And so the novel is told in mainly through the three female voices of the captive victim, right. the love interest and the teenage daughter, plus a few sprinkled throughout. Which is an interesting clash of worlds um, when you've got this person who's a victim, this person, his daughter, who's an unwitting victim, if you want to look at it that way. Yeah. Um, and then this love interest that that are all coming from different perspectives. So we get a little bit of that. Um, the thing that we love about an unreliable narrator where we're, we're not sure what's coming we still get a bit of that from the different perspectives, which I thought was a really interesting choice. Yeah, they're kind of unwittingly unreliable narrators, right? right? Um, because they all they think all have they a different knew. perception of who this guy is, right? Without realizing how incomplete their perceptions are. Right. Uh, and but for me, that was really a way to paint a full picture of this kind of character, of the serial killer character, was to ask the people around him more than asking him directly. Um, and to really, because I think that was a way to really represent the way he occupies the world. Um, serial killers spend most of their days not doing what they're the most infamous for, right? They right. go to work, they have families, they have children, they go about the world. And I wanted to try to represent that entire experience. Yeah. When you told your family that because I've spent time with you guys, I now have <laughs> written a novel about a serial killer, what what's their reaction like to that? <laughs> oh, yes, that was really funny. When I was, you know, I started writing this novel. It was my little project. I didn't think anyone was ever going to <laughs> read it, which I think is the mindset one needs to have, by the way, to write a book. I, I think sure. if you start thinking that people are going to read it, it's too jarring. Yeah. Um, and you need you need to just be by yourself doing your having your weird little fun. Um, yeah. And then I got the book deal with Knopf and then the 30 foreign deals that followed. And that's when I had to go to my in-laws and say, by the way, <laughs> I've written a serial killer book. 
it's going to be published. Uh, and also the, the house in it, actually, the, the house that the serial killer moves into with his victim and his daughter, um, it shares kind of a blueprint with my in-law's house. The, the first floor is very similar to theirs. So I had to introduce that element as well to them. By the way, it's based on your house. <laughs> That's cool. Um, and they were very supportive. They were very happy, very excited. I've been very lucky. There was no, how dare you <laughs> use our house in this manner. Um, so now they're, they're very excited. I mean, they were very intrigued when they finally got to read it because I made them wait until it was edited. Um, so they read it on the, like on an actual galley. So, the, you know, it took a few months, I think for months I kept them in the dark, which in retrospect was a bit wild. That That is. Um, were there uh, because you have worked in the the reality of these sorts of crimes in the past were there um certain stories that inspired um events in the book were were there little snippets from from real events that that you pulled in yes i think when i was building my serial killer character was when i sort of pulled from reality a little bit with the caveat that I always try to have my novelist brain and my journalist brain communicate only on an as needed basis. You know, I don't want to sit down to interview someone as a journalist and for them to have to worry that something's going to come up in a book. But right. I do, you know, but, but as far as building a, a library of personal knowledge goes, uh, you know, knowing how these things work, I think that's all fine. And, 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 part of the work of a novelist is to research yeah. those things. Um, but my serial killer character, whose name is Aiden, I wanted him to feel like he could have been real, but at the same time, I didn't want him to feel like the fictional avatar of a specific real serial killer. Sure, sure. Um, and so I started doing something that I thought of as building him from parts. Uh, so I took some aspects of Ted Bundy uh, you know, um, yeah. Ted Bundy had, was a law school dropout, uh, like me actually. Uh, and, um, every man kind of, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and so my serial killer character became a different kind of school dropout, but yeah. that was inspired by that. Um, I took a bit from Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, Dahmer was one of multiple serial killers I'd read about who had a background in the military. And so my serial killer became a former Marine. Um, on the opposite end of that spectrum, um, a few of the serial killers I read about had problems with alcohol abuse. And so I made uh, my serial killer character sober because I was sort of trying to differentiate him a little bit. Sure. Um, so that that kind of happened, you know, and then I looked into just as a, in the background of my brain, I did re read about some famous cases of people who were held captive um, for years, just to try to understand the mindset and try to understand how those experiences happen in real life. Um, Having grown up in Europe, I was familiar with the case of a woman named Natasha Kampusch who was held captive for years. She was kidnapped when she was a girl. And one day her captor made her clean his car and she was vacuum cleaning it. She, she had the vacuum cleaner on and he stepped away to make a phone call and she left the vacuum cleaner on and she ran. And that's how she escaped. And she, she like, wow. I think she like knocked on a couple of neighbors' doors and 
one of them was scared. And so she had to go to another house and ask them to call the police. And it was just this unbelievable, and, and she'd been held captive for years, but it was this, I think it, that case for me did a lot of work in understanding that those stories of escape, the planets have to align. The circumstances right. materially have to be right. And the mindset, the person has to believe that they yeah. have a chance to make it out alive if they try to bolt. Uh, and for the, and the, the stakes are so high because if it's a failed attempt, it, it's going to be twice as bad for them, you have to assume. Absolutely. I mean, it could mean death. Right, right. right. When when you're developing characters for your book, um, you know, we've got Aiden, uh, the the actual perpetrator, and then we've got the three women who's who we experience the story through their experiences. Um do you do you plan these characters out before you start the writing or you do you discover these characters as you kind of start writing the story and kind of get a feel for it? How do, I guess what I'm asking is, is do you have a, a, a firm feel for the characters and then start speaking through them or do they come alive on the page if, it, if as it were? So it depends on the characters. Um Aiden and his captive victim were always part of the project from day one. And at first, I and I knew Aiden would have a daughter, but I didn't know she was going to get to speak uh, as one of the narrators of the story. Uh, and the love interest I actually added uh, while I was already 10 or 20,000 words into the first draft. Um, Originally, it was just going to be the point of view of the captive victim uh, because, I don't know, I, to me, she's the main character and that was the story I wanted to tell. But at the same time, I felt that her point of view was a little limited because she only sees one side of this man, the side that he shows her. And one evening I was walking my dog and I was listening to a song from the 90s that is very much a party tune, not at all a thriller song. And I thought suddenly, oh, what what if there was this other point of view from this woman who has a crush on him? And what if she suddenly tries to, you know, get closer to him? And that would be bad for everyone involved. Yeah. Um, and it was exciting, but I didn't know if it was actually a good idea. And I talked to a friend about it and she said, well, try it. And if it doesn't work, you can always remove it. And I said, oh, yes, that, that makes sense. We can always remove it. Uh, and so I started incorporating her. But I think there's another aspect to your question, which I think is very interesting, is do I know them through and through from the beginning or do I get to know them while I write? And I right. think for me, when I start writing, I think I need to have a grip on what their psychological transformation is going to be. Mm -hmm. um, but I also know they're going to surprise me on the page and they always do. Uh, and I get to know them by writing. So whether it be figuring out their past or what makes them tick, uh, or particularly in the case of the teenage daughter in this book, uh, figuring out their voice, um, that's work that happens during the writing process. And I think that's the best part for me. When I was writing this book, I often felt like the director of a movie putting various actors together and seeing who has chemistry together. And some right. characters, you put them in a scene together and you can just watch them. And it's just always fascinating. So I do get to know them on the way. I love it. 
one one of the most terrifying things about this book, and I, and I say that with all love and respect, um, is that um, is that your that Aiden is such a three dimensional character. We we see the the good in him. We see the the horrible, um, the detestable, but he's he his outward facing self is such a good guy you know and that is more terrifying i think you know in a a flat two-dimensional mustache twirling you know uh <laughs> evil bad guy you know whatever we we all know that that is um fic, uh, a fictional account but when someone could be your next door neighbor and what are they doing behind their door that is terrifying um when did you uh was there a point in the writing where you're like, oh, I cracked the code on on this this guy? This is, you know, the, was there a time where you realized, oh, he's he's going to be more evil than than I anticipated because this is this is just going to scare people too much. It's so funny. I never thought about the. I wasn't ever, I was, I don't think I was actually actively trying to make the book scary, yeah. um, because I the idea of making a novel scary or making a novel suspenseful that sounds like an impossible task and it sounds very overwhelming but i did want to capture the duality that you spoke about and i i did it, he did I, I did have to you know sort of work to wrap my head around him and to understand um, how different people experienced him. And I think that's why I ended up writing this story from multiple points of view, because I think sometimes it's easier to understand someone if we view them through the prism of the people who interacted with them in life. But it's hard, it's a hard duality to hold in your brain, the good and the bad, the, um, the, the meaningful good things that a character like this might've done for some people. and the despicable cruelty that they might have displayed uh, against others. I mean, I think that's the whole reason I wrote this novel is I needed 90,000 words <laughs> uh, to make sense of it because it's yeah. really hard to hold in your head. Well, um, we'll, we'll finish with this question, but I've, I've often wondered, um, journalists who become fiction writers, um, it, is it a, a good feeling to take this scenario and and have the control to play out the scenario to the end because so many times we we see a real life situation and whether you're reporting on it or you're watching the reporting um there's nothing you can do about it, it you know you either are just uh conveying the facts or you're absorbing the facts from someone else but but there's there's no control over it but as a fiction writer you're kind of the god of the world and um horrible things can still happen but does does it does being a fiction writer feel like that that there's a way to sort of write the world absolutely <laughs> uh, i think you've hit the nail on the head here um a big thing for me as a journalist uh who started writing fiction was that i wanted to call the shots um i i wanted to um also i wanted to answer questions that reality just would not provide an answer for. If you're interested in stories of crime, especially infamous stories of very 
you know, very rare types of crime, like serial killer stories, there is always a part of unknown in those stories. Um, how many victims? Was this person a victim of this serial killer? How did they get away? Like, there's always these parts of shadow that no matter how hard we try, I don't think those answers can be found out. And I think fiction is where we get to care for these parts of ourselves that can't help but wander. And right. we get to provide answers. But also, yes, I do get to, like, I know everything about this story. And I, you do have to follow the direction that the story wants to take, right? Like, sure. but But we are allowed to allow it to evolve organically and grow in a way that is very liberating compared to being tied to reality and journalism. Right. Well, The Quiet Tenant is available everywhere now. Go visit your local bookstore, support local books, pick up a copy. If you don't have a great local bookstore, we'll put links to it in the show notes where you can grab it on Amazon or Audible. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm taking uh, some vacation time around Independence Day next week, and I have the audio book that I have not begun yet, but I am, I'm waiting until I can lay by the pool in the sunshine and listen to it without being scared. Oh, um, wonderful! So, that makes, watch I out! I um I narrate a chapter. So do you really? Yes, keep an ear out. Yes, it's a little oh, Easter egg. Okay, <laughs> I can't wait for that. That's uh, we'll put a link to the Audible as well. Um, Clemence, if people are just learning about you and discovering your work, uh, is there a place online where they can follow along with all the great stuff that's going on with you? Yes, absolutely. I am on Instagram at Clemence Michelon, all one word. Uh, and it's it's difficult to spell, but it is on the cover of the book. <laughs> um, and then I'm on Twitter at Clemence underscore MCLL. Uh, and these are the two places I use the most. Excellent. We'll link those up uh, to make it easy for folks to find you. Clemence, this has been so much fun chatting. Uh, love the book. We're sending everyone to pick up a copy of it. Thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for the great, really thoughtful questions. This was a treat. So thank you so much. And thank you for, for loving the book. That's our episode for today. There's so much more to come as we talk with authors about the craft of writing, but also the business of publishing. Be sure to subscribe to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast in your favorite podcast app to never miss an episode. The StoryCraft Cafe is made possible by Dabble. Writing a book is challenging. Your writing tool shouldn't be. Dabble is an easy-to-use online writing tool packed with helpful features that allow beginning novelists and published authors to create amazing stories. Visit us at DabbleWriter.com and start your free trial. Thanks for listening.